We're going to be looking at the gift of discernment today, the gift of speaking in tongues, and the gift of the interpretation of tongues. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Otherwise, it will be on that big shiny thing right behind me, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit, uh, sorry, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, uh, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy. And here we are today. And to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. One of the key things about understanding the spiritual gifts is that it's the Holy Spirit who's the giver of all of the gifts, and He determines when and how those gifts are distributed. They are gifts, which means they are not earned, which means your good behavior, your bad behavior does not earn you certain specific gifts. The Lord, by His grace, which is His unmerited favor, undeserving favor, has given these gifts to God's people to function and flourish and strengthen the body. Amen. The first one we're going to look at today is the gift of discernment, or also known as the gift of distinguishing between spirits. In John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, he is telling us that there are spirits and there are good spirits and there are bad spirits. And a part of our responsibility is not to just take everything we see and hear as gold, but to discern the difference between good and evil. The spiritual gift of discernment is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to perceive and understand the true nature of people, teachings, and spiritual manifestations. I'll say it again. The spiritual gift of discernment is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to perceive and understand the true nature of people, teachings, and spiritual manifestations, okay? Discernment involves the ability to distinguish between what is of God and what is not what is truth, and what is lies. It's the ability to, uh, to determine between genuine spiritual experiences, demonic spiritual experiences, and deceptive or fake spiritual experiences. You see, one of the reasons that's important is that we believe in a supernatural God, and we believe that when the supernatural power of heaven invades our natural realm, Things happen. People, our flesh reacts differently to encountering the presence of God. Some people will just start 
bawling their eyes out in the presence of God. It's an overwhelming sense. Some people shake, some people do nothing, some people feel warm. Our bodies react differently to spiritual encounters. And why this is important is that this gift of discernment gives us the ability to determine is what I'm seeing with my physical eye in this situation with a person, for example, is that a spiritual experience, a, a good one, is, a demonic, is it a demonic experience or is it fake? Because the truth is the same outward expression can be manifested from different internal influences. I've seen it happen throughout all my years of ministry. You see one person, let's just pretend they're a shaker. The, something happens in the room and they start shaking a little bit. And you'll see that one person is encountering the power of God Almighty. The Holy Spirit's moving, their body's overwhelmed. And it's a good thing for some, you begin to pray for somebody, they start to shake and do all sorts of funny things. And it's actually a demonic experience. And for some, people just want to fit in depending on the environment. And so they fake it, and all three are possibilities. And that's why we have to have the gift of discernment present within the body of Christ so we can figure out which are genuinely godly, which are genuinely demonic, and which are ingenuinely fake so that we can function appropriately and in order to what God wants to do in us and around us. Amen? The gift of discernment allows us insights into the motive the character, and the spiritual influence in any given situation. Another thing that the gift of discernment does is it involves perceiving and understanding spiritual realities, including the presence and activity of the angelic or the presence and the activity of the demonic. And this is where we understand it to be known as the gift of discerning between spirits. You see, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, we have to understand that the presence and activities of angels around us is real. It is not just a movie about baseball. Come on, somebody. Some of the younger people, they got no idea. Angels in the outfield. Kevin Costner, get into it. It'll change your life. And we have to also realize that there's pr the presence and activity of the demonic is also real. You ever walk into an environment, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, and you walk in and it seems like a good place, but you like get chills. You're like, what is that? It's the ability to discern, acknowledge, perceive the presence of a demonic force. Some, some people see demons. Some people see angels. In the Old Testament, they used to call prophets seers. And in today's day, day and age, a lot of people will call people that can see the demonic or the angelic activity seers. I believe it's the gift of discernment. Because in the New Testament, the New Covenant, where Paul's teaching us, we don't address the term seer. In fact, that word seer, it was just the original term for the word prophet in the Old Testament. But what we do see in the New Testament is this gift of discernment, which we can train to perceive the difference between good and evil. It's a really important gift for the body of Christ, and it shouldn't be abused, it shouldn't be misused, but it must be acknowledged that it is 
real. Amen? You know, some things we have to understand is that the gift of discernment is given for the purpose of protecting, guiding, and, sorry, protecting and guiding the church. That's why people who function in the gift of discernment are helpful to have around so that we know it helps guide us in what we're doing, helps guide us in understanding what that activity is, what's that odd feeling, why do I have hairs springing up on the back of my neck? You see, an undeveloped gift of discernment might be able to perceive that something's wrong. A developed gift of discernment can understand what that is, which helps us put in position a counter approach, especially if it is that of the demonic realm. And so we have to understand that this gift is for protecting and helping guide the church. This, the gift of discernment should not be confused with being judgmental that gets blamed on discernment every time you just don't like somebody. Like, I just, I don't know. You're like, they just disagreed with your point. That doesn't make them evil. You're like, mm, I don't know, there's something off. You know, it's just, if I, if, because if, if I'm always right and they're disagreeing with me, there has to be something wrong. And so it's important that we understand that this gift is not just judgmental, but it's rather to help believers navigate spiritual realities and to help us make good judgments based on God's truth. And the reason that that's important is because people often use this discernment idea as a way to deal with anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. Just because something makes you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean it's demonic. And the reason that's important is because most of the time when you see something extreme or extravagant happening that you've never seen before, there will be an element of uncomfort. The gift of discernment is not the ability to know that's strange and that's not. It's the ability to know that strange experience is good or it's bad. And that's where it comes back to the first point is that this gift helps us determine what is good and what is not. What is of God? What is not? What is truth? What is lies? What's a genuinely good experience and what's a genuine bad experience or what's a deceptive fake experience? Because if it was just plain to see, we wouldn't need the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment, when it's murky, is able to see through the cloud to see what's really on the other side. Amen? So this gift, it's important to approach this gift, if you have it, with a genuine desire, not to just be right all the time, but to help, to understand, not to condemn or tear down. The goal, as all the gifts, should always be to help build up, encourage, and, ex and strengthen the church. Amen. The problem is if you're married to someone with this gift, it's really hard to get away with things. We've been doing spiritual gift testings in our life group. And my wife, sadly for me, ranked almost perfect in the gift of discernment. I'm doomed. Amen. I guess it'll help keep me accountable. Thank you, Lord. That's the gift of discernment. It's an incredibly powerful gift and the body of Christ needs it. The it's so important because it helps us not just shy away from things that might be odd. It helps bring clarity to what they are because sometimes, let me tell you, if you experience an angelic encounter, it's going to feel uncomfortable. 
And we need to be able to understand that and not just throw it into the corner because we don't understand it. It's the same as the demonic. If there's a demonic experience, we need to be able to perceive and understand it, not ignore it, because if it's there, we don't want to ignore it. That doesn't help putting your head under a rock. It's like my son, Jack, he's like, I'm hiding from you when his eyes are closed. If he can't see me, I can't see him. The gift of discernment shouldn't do that. Amen? The gift of discernment is a powerful gift. The second, the second and third gifts today are speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And today we're going to deal with them together because it's a little bit easier of a way to do that. And this gift is one of the more, if not the most controversial gifts in the modern day church with all the different denominations and backgrounds. But the truth is it doesn't need to be. Often things like speaking in tongues, which we'll talk more about, is, becomes controversial because it's either been misused or it's been misunderstood. And so then to counter a misused or misunderstood spiritual experience, again, we don't want to just throw it to the corner and put a blanket over it. We then need to bring correction and clarification to what the gifting is, amen? And the reason this is important is because of overcorrection, because of the inability to discern, Things like the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues has been put into two categories. We don't do it at all because we just don't. Or we don't believe it's God, so therefore we don't do it. The problem with both of those is that the Bible speaks quite extensively on these gifts, especially in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, one of the most intellectual minds in history, he writes to us in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 14, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. The Apostle Paul was a yabba dabba do hamala shamala king. All right, he was one of those babbling guys. He's like, I do it more than all of you. Okay, he then tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39, he says, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And then he says something that's super important for the day that we live in. He says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now what we see as you work through this passage of Scripture is Paul starts to work on order and making sure that we understand that God's not a God of chaos and confusion, but a God of order. And he gives some insight into how he perceives is the best way for us to function with these giftings within the local church. But what he does give is a forbid. He says, do not, this is a command from Paul, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And he doesn't say, do not forbid speaking in tongues until the Bible's put together a couple hundred years later and then forbid speaking in tongues. The truth is to forbid the speaking in tongues is to disobey a command from the Apostle Paul. 
So what's really important then is that we understand what this speaking in tongues is. Just by showing of hands, you don't have to, but who here does speak in tongues in the heavenly language? Who here doesn't? Who here has grown up in a background where it was pretty much forbidden? Who here grew up in a snake handling church where you spoke to tongues to the snake? You see, what's amazing is we sit in this room and there's so many people from so many different walks of life. And so I'm excited to spend the rest of our time unpacking these two gifts, the speaking of tongues and the interpretation of the speaking in tongues. You're ready. Speaking in tongues is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to speak in a prayer language or a public language unknown to the speaker for the purpose of personal edification or with interpretation for the edification of the church. The word edification means to strengthen, encourage, and build the church. Speaking in tongues is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to speak in a prayer language or a public language unknown to the speaker for the purpose of personal edification or with interpretation for the edification of the broader church. The gift of interpretations of tongues is simple. It's the ability to understand and interpret the message that is being delivered through someone speaking in tongues for the purpose of the edification of the church. And that's why I wanted to deal with them together because interpretation of tongues is exactly what it sounds like. The ability to interpret what is being spoken in tongues by someone else. Now, there are three ways that I find we look at this in the Bible. The first one is there's a personal expression. The second is there's a public expression. And the third is that there's a miraculous expression. And we're going to work through these three today and help bring some clarity and understanding for those that need it, to help bring some comfort for those who want it. And for all you wild yabba dabba doers, this is your day, all right? Theron, where you at, buddy? All right. The first one I want to look at is the personal expression. Speaking in tongues for personal prayer is a form of communication between an individual and God. It is a language spoken in, so spoken in the Spirit and by the Spirit, and it is not understood by the person or others around. This personal expression of speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that is by the Holy Spirit, that is not understood by the person whose mouth is it coming out of, and it's not understood by anybody in any language around the world. It is sometimes called tongues of angels, but it's the gift of speaking in other tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Verse 2, Paul says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So the personal expression of speaking in tongues 
is when somebody is yabba-dabba-doing, hamala-shamaling, and no one can understand it, and it is a prayer between God and the person. And the purpose of this gift, the expression of this personal gift, is to build yourself up or to strengthen yourself in the Lord. This gift spiritually strengthens the person speaking it. Essentially, it's some kind of direct pipeline to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, it says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. I don't know if you've ever been in environments where you just don't know what to pray but you just want to pray. This is a gift that God has given us to be able to pray in the Spirit, to be able to pray without distraction of our ambitions or our thoughts, to be able to pray without the necessary need of having to engage your mind in a capacity. And it's this thing that enables us to be strengthened by the Spirit of God, amen? In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And this is where the intellectual people have a problem. They're like, what do you mean my mind's unfruitful? My mind is never unfruitful. It's because knowledge puffs up. Your mind can be extremely unfruitful. Imagine for a minute you could get out of your mind and into the mind of God. And so Paul's like, when you speak in a tongue, your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. And he helps the question. He's like, he anticipates someone asking. So what am I to do then, he says. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. It's not one or the other. It's not the mind functioning and the spirit functioning. We have a moment. Sometimes you're just excited. You pray in the spirit and it's exciting and energizing for your spirit. Sometimes you have a moment of faith and you're declaring with your mouth and your mind the things of God. They're both gifts from God, but the speaking in tongues and the personal expression is a personal expression between the prayer and and God that is kind of like a direct pipeline into heaven to build up the inner man. Make sense? Then we have the public expression. So when tongues is spoken in a public environment, Paul gives us wisdom to say that if that's to happen, then there should be someone there to interpret, which is where we get the gift of the interpretation of tongues. You see, in the public expression, it requires a twofold experience, someone who can speak in tongues and somebody who can, has the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That can be the same person. Paul exhorts and encourages those who speak in tongues to ask the Lord for the ability to interpret tongues. Now, the interpretation of tongues is kind of, in my opinion, like the forgotten gift. No one's got it. Maybe someone in the room this morning does. I'd love to see the gift experienced and expressed within the church community because it's a gift 
given by God for the purpose of edifying now, not the person, but the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, Paul says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. He says, even more than that, I want you all to prophesy. He says, for pro those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in tongues. What's important to clarify here is Paul is not saying there's a hierarchy that you are can prophesy so you're better than the guy who speaks in tongue. He's acknowledging again the fact that speaking in tongues is for a personal experience and prophecy is for a corporate experience. Speaking in tongues builds up the person. Prophesying builds up the church. That's why he says, I pray that you all speak in tongues. I hope even more so that you all prophesy. Speaking in tongues is good, but prophecy is better unless there's someone there to interpret so that it then builds up the church. So what elevates the greater good of speaking in tongues and prophesying is that there's someone there who can interpret what is being spoken in other tongues and that then builds up, edifies, and strengthens the church. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So Paul's encouraging, hey, if you speak in other tongues, ask the Lord for the other gift to interpret the tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, song, a lesson, the word, a revelation, a prophecy, a tongue, or an interpretation. But let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let somebody interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So Paul is now rounding up this thing to say, basically, you know what speaking in tongues is. It's between you and God. You know what the interpretations of tongues is and what it's for. It's to be able to interpret that which was spoken in tongues for the edification of the church. And now he's saying, so now that you realize speaking in tongues is for yourself and the interpretation of tongues is for others, in the church environment, this is how I think it's best done. If anyone has a tongue, let two or at most three get up and give their tongue and let it be one at a time. The point I want to get here is that there is often, again, debate and controversy around whether tongues should be spoken only at home by yourself when no one can hear you, or can it be spoken of? Can it be expressed within a church environment or community? And what Paul's here is giving guidelines to the order of a church. Because what had happened in Corinthians, the church was chaos. 
If we had time to work through the book of Corinthians like we might one day, they were obsessed with spiritual gifts. They were obsessed with getting status because of their gift. There were people sleeping together. There was a young man uh, sleeping with his mother-in-law. I mean, the church was a mess. And so Paul's bringing correction and order. And the truth is, these days, our churches are so orderly and perfect, I think we could shake the cobwebs off a little bit. But what Paul's doing, he's saying, hey, if anyone's got a tongue, let them speak two at most three. And so by him saying two or at most three is not so command heavy as it is general to say, hey, let's keep this thing in order. And so he says, if you have a tongue, let them up and let them speak only if there's an interpreter. So what Paul's saying is that if I'm up here, and I start yabba dabba do, hamala shamala, shamala hamala. That's not my tongues, just so you know. Didn't pick them up from Scooby Doo. That there should be somebody within the church who's able to interpret what I said, release it to the church for the building up and the edification of the saints. Then Danny gets up and he's like, Hamala, shamala, this and that and the other thing. And someone's like, interpretation, here it is. Build up and edify the church. We got one more. Pastor Dan Terry gets up here and he starts speaking in Australian. We're like, that's not tongues. Get off. Josie comes up. She starts speaking in other tongues. We're like, finally, someone who's not pretending. Thank God for the gift of discernment. And then those who can interpret, interpret and it builds up the body, the church. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't just get up here and everybody yabba-dabba-doo, get into it because what it's gonna do is bring chaos and confusion. Unbelievers might walk in and like, what the heck's going on? What the, it causes chaos and Paul's like, let's just bring a little bit of order. What I don't think Paul's saying is that while you're worshiping down the front and your spirit man's excited and wants to speak in a heavenly language that engages with you and God, I don't think Paul's saying, hey, don't do that. It's a personal, you're not there trying to publicly express this gift. You're in your heart, you're connecting with God. You might hear people in this church next to you going for it in worship. It's totally appropriate. It's not causing chaos or confusion. It's not creating questions. It's someone engaging with God. And it says, in the church, let there be a tongue. Let there be an interpretation of tongue. Let there be hymns. Let there be a lesson. Let the church flourish in the giftings that God has given us. But if you get up in front of the people and you want to get up here and go for it, then let there be someone who can interpret because otherwise you're up here just for yourself and not for them. And that's not the way that God wants it. Amen? So if you do hear that, come ask us a question. If you're uncomfortable with it, come ask us questions. If you're up here and you hear Dylan leading worship and see he's got a big microphone in front of his face and he might step away and just start worshiping God in his heavenly language and you might hear it and you think, they're disobeying Paul. He's not up here trying to exhort the church in a tongue. He's connecting with the Lord. But if he gets on the microphone and he intentionally starts going for it, then let us have someone stand up and interpret. So it's not just for Dylan to exercise his gift to impress you. It's so the church can be built up, edified, and encouraged. Amen? Whew. Thank you. Thank you. I'm done. They say to walk off on a high, right?
don't know if I'm going to hire or not, but I was taking a guess. Okay, good, thank you. Who are my greatest encouragers right here? It's not a competition, but if it was, they're winning. All right, so we got the personal expression, the public expression. The personal is between the person and God. The public expression is if it's done publicly in a way that's in front of the people, let there be someone there to interpret who has the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Then we have what I've titled the miraculous expression. Now this we get on the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit first poured out upon all mankind. And we see this in the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all there together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. Pause. Who thinks we need the gift of discernment to determine whether that's a good thing or a bad thing? You're in a building, a miraculous sound happens, and little licks of flame of fire upon everybody's head. We're going to need to, if, if you're watching, which you'll see in a minute, and you don't know what's going on, you're going to feel like this is weird and uncomfortable. Right? They start babbling in other tongues, and people say, they are drunk. And Peter's like, we are not drunk. It is 9 a.m. We have to at least wait till 10 a.m. to get on it. You know what I'm saying? Or is it 12 o'clock? What's the rule around here? Never. Okay, we're in the south. Don't touch it. But that's where discernment comes in. When things are uncomfortable, we need the gift of discernment. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This is a, an expression of the gift of speaking in tongues that we don't see happen anywhere else in the Bible. It's on the first day the Holy Spirit poured out upon mankind and they began speaking in other tongues. And the people who were listening were hearing them speak in their own languages, and we don't have time today, but there was a whole bunch of different nations there, and they were all hearing them, not in the same language, but in their own individual languages. The miraculous expression of speaking in tongues is when someone speaks in an unknown language, and either the people listening miraculously hear it in their own language, or the speaker miraculously uh, speaks in the language of the listener. Now, it's pretty straightforward, but there is one section of, say we say, debate that comes around this portion of the speaking in tongues gift. That, and I believe the reason is because we don't see it happen again. There are stories and testimonies of people in history who have had this happen to them when they're doing missionary work when they go to countries where they uh, don't speak the language and this miraculous gift happens. But the debate is simply this. Is this a speaking miracle or is it a hearing miracle? Is, are, are those who have just been filled with the Holy Spirit and are uttering 
tongues, the Bible says, by the Spirit, are they now speaking in a foreign language that someone can understand, depending on if they know that language? Or are they all speaking in their heavenly language that no one can understand, and those around them are miraculously hearing them in their own personal language? And the thing is, as my good friend Danny and I discussed just yesterday, not yesterday, that was a lie. Thanks for discerning that. On Thursday, what's important is that it was a miracle. But the debate being, is it a speaking miracle or a hearing miracle? Now, I personally lean heavily on the side of it being a hearing miracle, that they were speaking in their heavenly language because the Holy Spirit came on them all through the book of Acts. We see when the Holy Spirit comes on people, they start yabba-dabba-doing in tongues, and no one's out there saying, hey, you're speaking my language. It's just happening, and they're edifying themselves in the Lord. They're worshiping God. We don't see it happen again. And so I believe that that day they're speaking their heavenly language. And the miracle is that those all around them who aren't yet saved are essentially being given the gift to interpret the tongues and understand what's being said. You see, because it says they were all speaking in other tongues. And then those listening all heard them in their own languages. They all heard them in their own languages. There's many different nations. People are speaking in other tongues that no one should understand, and yet there they are hearing what's being said in their own language. However, ultimately, it's not that important. Because the gift has happened. People we know, people we've heard about, have gone into environments and they're either speaking in their heavenly language and people understanding it, or they're supernaturally speaking a language they do not know. And the main purpose of the miraculous gift of tongues like this is so that we can have cross-cultural ministry. So that we can go into an environment when there's nothing else we know how to do, missionaries reaching the far corners of the earth. Next year, we're going to send a team to Kenya all the way into the bush. So if you want to be involved in that, keep your ears open. We'll let you more about it. But when you go to those far corners of the earth, the people there don't always speak English. And if you don't have an interpreter with you, you got to find a way to minister to these people. This is where the gift of the miraculous gift of speaking in tongues comes in very handy. Regardless of what seat you sit in, whether you're going to speak miraculously your language or they're going to hear you miraculously when you speak in other tongues, the purpose is to reach people across cultures, to reach people you can't speak to with the gospel because the gospel's the only thing that saves. Amen.